You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. Well, good morning. I am uh, really excited about this message in particular because I think throughout the day, especially when it gets toward the night, uh, in this room, if you're a student, uh, if you've got kids or grandkids, uh, this message is primarily for that demographic. However, it, it should be a reminder for all of us that are older. And I want to begin with the principle that, that it really should shape everything that we decide in life. Ready? It's always a mistake to decide what you do, meaning um, who you marry, what to do on a career path, where you live, when you transition, when you retire, when you hand things off. It is always a mistake to decide what you do before you've determined who you are. The who you are it always shapes what you do. And I understand like on behalf of everybody that's in this room today, if you could kind of generically summarize three components of life, we've got this, you've got your character, which is who you are. You've got your companions, meaning the people that you know. And then you have your career, best way of describing like what you do. In this room today, there is so much potential on behalf, behalf of these three components of life. Meaning, uh, think about who's represented. Think about the people that we know, what we do, and the people that God has called us to be. Think about the talent that's in this room, the work ethic that's in this room, the discipline. The problem is there is something that can happen when we, when we lose sight of that principle of what you do or don't do. It always flows from who you are. If you lose sight of this, Here's some things that you and I need to understand. Who you are will ultimately determine what people associate with your name. For example, think about this series, the name Daniel. What you associate with the name of Daniel. Now, unfortunately, even though who we are should shape all the things that we do or don't do and when we do them and how we do them, there are some things like your talent, your passion, your excitement toward another person, another thing, your inner drive, all of those have the potential to undercut who you are, like your character. Unfortunately, some people don't know this. And make matters worse, people like me, many people used to know this, but it's easy to forget. So today, what's going to shape this message, and you're going to see it come true in so many different dimensions, you must remember, I must remember, what you do or what you don't do in life always flows from who you are. Unfortunately, on behalf of this, there is not a lot of pressure for you and I to become the person that God wants us to be. Like in the world that we live, there's pressure for us to not become the people that God wants us to be. For us to compromise and make decisions that God would not want us to make because it goes back to us not understanding who God called us to be. Listen to how Paul said it in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He said, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, is good, pleasing, and perfect will. Like, look at those words, do not conform. Think about it. Think how easy it is to conform. It's just cookie cutter. It's just copy and paste. It's just stamped. It's like you just fit the mold. He said, don't just fit the mold because that's where all the pressure is just to fit the mold. There's not a lot of pressure for you and I 
to focus on the person that God has called us to be. And look what happens if we don't conform to the pattern of the world, but we're changed by the renewing of our mind. Look at this. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Like what to do, what not to do, who to spend your time with, who you're with, where to go. So understand on behalf of all these principles, Daniel today, you'll see up to this point, it like comes to a head. Daniel understands what you do in life, the decisions you make, decisions you don't make. It always flows from who you are. At the end of chapter five, we're going to notice that Babylon is no longer in charge. There's a new king. There's a new world empire. Daniel 5 verse 31, and Darius, the Mede, took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So you got a new king, a new kingdom, and a new political system. Listen to Daniel 6 verse 1 and 2. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. He appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. So you got a new political structure under the Medes and the Persians. It's not just a one monarch thing. There's one monarch, there's three guys under him, then there's 120 representatives under them. It brings checks and balances for a king. Um, by the way, did you notice who's still in the system? And it's interesting, interesting tidbit. Daniel is now 90 years old in this text. Verse 3, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers because of Daniel's, and I'm reading today the New Living Translation, great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. The NIV says his exceptional qualities. The English Standard Version says his exceptional spirit. Daniel shines. Here's what you understand. Kings change. Kingdoms change. Political systems change. But one thing doesn't change. Daniel and even though he's a Jew, the king wants him to climb in positions of leadership because of his exceptional spirit, which the Bible says again and again and again about Daniel in the book of Daniel. Meaning when everything else changes, Daniel remains. And it's because Daniel has something to hold on to. And even though the king does not agree with Daniel theologically, the king knows that Daniel is probably the best and brightest guy in the kingdom. And so the king breaks protocol. He's now going to create a new position because of Daniel's exceptional spirit. He's going to make Daniel the prime minister. So here's what the new political structure will look like. One king, one prime minister, three, then 120. As you can imagine, there are some people that are quite jealous. Verse four, the other administrators and high officers began searching for fault in the way that Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. They're like, bring out the videos, bring out the text, bring out the receipts, bring out the witnesses. They can't find a thing. It goes back to the resolve, the fact that Daniel predecided, the fact that Daniel knew who he was, right? Daniel knows this principle over and over that what you do or don't do always flows from the person that you are, the person that God called you to be. So they concluded in verse 5, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. We can't find any moral hiccups on this guy. Dude's always on the up and up. So these men are thinking, if he's forced to pick between, between, between loyalty to Persia and loyalty to God, 
Daniel's probably going to pick God every time. Obviously, when you read all the stories up to this point, Daniel's faith in God is public and in private. And his faith in God is personal. It isn't private. It's because he knew at the core who he was called to be, and it dictated what he did and what he didn't do. He would literally throw away his life before he cuts corners. This man is devoted to death. Verse 6. So the administrators and high officers went to the king, and they said, Long live King Darius. You're going to watch a a conspiracy unfold. They're going to try to take advantage of a new political system, and I want to explain why. Verse 7 and 8. We are all in agreement, the administrators, officials, and so forth, that the king should make a law that that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, anyone who prays to anyone except you would be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it can't be changed. So it's the official law of the Medes and Persians that would never be revoked. The reason this is so important, Persia has discovered, think about it, monarchs don't rule well. Babylon proved it. Nebuchadnezzar counseled no one, never got advice. He was unpredictable. He lost his cool. Everybody got nervous around him. It was scary. And guess what? The end result, Babylon fell. Persia wants an absolute outside of the king. They need a charter, if you will. In other words, here's what they're thinking. Kings shouldn't be the law. Instead, the law would be king. So what Persia is going to do, the Medes and the Persians, they're going to establish a little bit of monarchy, a little bit of democracy, think Greece, a little bit of... um, A little bit of the Senate, think Rome. They're going to try to capture all these things together so that there is something in place outside of an unpredictable king. They're thinking thinking the king shouldn't be the law. Instead, the law should be king. So we get to verse 9. King Darius signed the law. The guy's duped. You got to ask the question, okay, why did he sign this law? Well, he's human. It got played. To which we ask the big question that has been the question of the whole series. How does a follower of God respond when kingdoms collide? Specifically, how about this? When systems change, high-pressure situations again and again and again, we understand that Daniel is anchored to something much larger than himself, much larger than the environment, much larger than the circumstance. Daniel knows, once again, what you do, what you don't do, always flows from who you are. Watch how you see this take place. Verse 10. But when? But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with the windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. And then the officials went together to Daniel's house and they found him praying and asking God for help. These guys know that Daniel's faith is not a secret. They're well aware of his devotion to God. The reason Daniel is extremely extraordinary, he keeps his window open toward Jerusalem. Remember this, change his country, change his language, change his name, but his heart will always lean toward home. He kneels and prays three times a day. Um, Show of hands. Come on, let's just be honest. How many in this room periodically struggle to have a quality time with God just once a day? 
three times a day. And he's the prime minister of a world empire. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He's alone with God. This man is finding the basis of who he is in his time alone with God. And it's going to dictate what he does and what he doesn't do. He understands that God is his portion. God is his strength. Jesus said in John 4, 32, I have a kind of food that you know nothing about. And Daniel understands this. This will be his strength. And understand what will take place. Daniel will now be interrupted just to be humiliated. Verse 12. So they went straight to the king and they reminded him about the law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, the person who prays to anyone except you will be thrown into the lion's den? The king replied, yeah, that decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and Persians. It won't be revoked. Then they told the king, that man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, he's ignoring you and the law. He still prays to his God three times a day. This is pretty cool. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled. This is why I mean pretty cool. He tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of the predicament. The king realizes what that kingdom is about is just like every other kingdom that's focused on themselves. No matter how slick it is, apart from God, it will always self-destruct. It will always implode. The king realizes they're about to lose their best guy over a stupid decision in some manipulated system. Verse 15, in the evening, the men went together and said to the king, your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. I'm telling you, this is what happens when men try to play God. This is why a king who did not know who he was, was manipulated and played to do things that he never should have done. And we see... So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown in the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Uh, this will be the first time I say this. A few more will be coming. Does that verse remind you of something else? More in a minute. Verse 18, then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep that night. The king understands who will have to deliver his nation from the fallout of a terrible decision. So consider, even though the king doesn't know God, he knows Daniel. And now he's starting to trust God because of Daniel. He's asking for God to save his anti-God kingdom. Does that sound strange? Inconsistent? It's sending a message to all of us. Can't do it apart from God, no matter how slick it looks. It goes back to who you are. And it, out of that flows everything that you do and what you don't do. Verse 19, very early the next morning, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. Once again, remind you of something else? More in a minute. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue from the lions? Daniel answered, long live the king. These aren't words of a traitor. They're words from a man under authority. 
My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. I've been found innocent in his sight. The Bible lets us know that Jesus, before Jesus was born, he made appearances in the Old Testament, that first part of the conversation. Again and again, Jesus would show up in earthly form. He eats with Abraham. He wrestles with Jacob. He protects David. He's in the furnace with Daniel's friends, and now he's in the lion's den with Daniel. Jesus is so faithful. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so they wouldn't hurt me. I, I've been found innocent in the sight, and I've done nothing wrong, your majesty, from pending death to life. Proof positive of Daniel's innocence. Proof positive that Daniel's God is true. By the way, does that sound familiar? More in a minute. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him for he had trusted in his God. Warning, it's about to get graphic. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. Had him thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and kids. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. All we'll ever remember about these people, their awful ending. Because it's always a mistake to decide what to do or what you don't do before you understand who you are. When it comes to these people, you know, on behalf of their awful ending, no memory, no footprint, no fragment of existence. And Persia will enjoy a brief respite because of their turn toward God. Strange as it may be. It's like Nebuchadnezzar last week. He was in the field, came to his senses. Persia, in a real sense, comes to their senses. The king recognizes and turns to God, just like Nebuchadnezzar did. Um, let's continue in the story. Verse 26, he said, I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. Once again, I'm telling you, even though the king doesn't know God, he knows Daniel. Now he's starting to know God because of Daniel. For he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. These words are pregnant with meaning. We're finite human beings. We will never discover the infinite. We have kingdoms come, the kingdoms go but his kingdom will last forever. The king is letting us know what we already know, and I hope you know. Apart from God, we will never understand the issue of existence, real dignity, and law. Try it. It won't work. Apart from God. Verse 27, the king continues. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and earth, like this lion's den moment. He rescued Daniel. Meaning... This God is not just infinite and powerful. He is also deeply personal and he makes himself known. He raises men from the dead. Verse 28, so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. I love how the story ends, right? By the way, interesting tidbit. Um, the Hebrew language is for the Jew. Do you realize most of the book of Daniel is not written in Hebrew? It's written in Aramaic. That's for you and me. Something to consider. 
because there are practical implications for all of us on behalf of the components of life, the principle that we held tight to, how we live and get our cues from Daniel when kingdoms collide. I want you to remember those three components of life, your character. That's who you are when no one's watching. Your companions, like the people that you know, who you surround yourself with, who you connect to, your career, meaning what you do, where you will go to school, who you, who you will room with, what you decide, where you purchase, when you transition, when you retire, and what you do or don't do always flows from who you are. And remember, who you are determines what people will associate with your name. Think Daniel. Here's what we learn by watching Daniel. Number one, there will be times when we follow God that we will polarize people. The king, Darius, loves Daniel because he's good. There's a lot of other leaders in the kingdom that hate Daniel because he's good. There will be times that we polarize people. There is no middle ground. It happens. Number two, we will keep our character, who we are, by a daily devotion to God. Daniel isn't great just because he works hard, because he's talented. He's not great because it's like in his DNA. He's great because he's a man who knows who God called him to be. And he has deep devotion to prayer. He's great because he knows his Bible and he meets with God daily. Number three, our hearts need a leaning toward home. This isn't home. I know we live and act like it. It's temporary. Like the story of Joseph and Jacob. When I die, don't bury me in Egypt. I don't want a pyramid. Like we have to understand and through our hearts should link toward home. I know we want an influence here and this is true. But this isn't home. What we learned from Daniel, number four, our faith is personal, but it is never private. It should be seen. And that's why some of you in this room, you need to go public with your faith. You've trusted God, but you've never been baptized by immersion. It needs to be seen. Number five, no matter where you are, he's with you. He will not leave you alone. Even in a field last week when you've lost your senses. Even in the den with lions. The Apostle Paul in one of his loneliest moments in all of life. One of my favorite passages of scripture. Paul said this. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May I not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all might hear it. How about this? Paul says, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Paul's like, I walked in the same shoes as Daniel. You're not alone. He's with you. As followers of God that are riveted on who we are, and it dictates what we do and what we don't do, we are to be faithful to the very end. Old men, old women, just like a 90-year-old Daniel. I've told you again and again, the Bible from cover to cover, first part of the conversation to when Jesus comes, it's all about Jesus. 
like from Genesis to the very end. That's the message. Don't ever lose sight of Jesus when you read the Bible. Let me tell you what I mean. Who else do you know? Who was faithful to God morning, noon, and night? Jesus. Who else do you know was called the servant of the Lord? Jesus. Who else do you know was hated by those whose deeds he exposed? Think of the religious leaders. Who else do you know was loved by those who embraced him? Who else do you know because of his character was conspired against by powerful leaders like the Pharisees and Sadducees? And who else do you know was a target of a manipulated leader? Think Pilate. They played him. Who else do you know in light of his own pending death? Continue to pray. Father, not my will but yours. Who else do you know in the middle of his prayer was interrupted to be humiliated by a kiss? Who else do you know was left to die a miserable death? The cross or the lion's den? The lion's den, pretty quick death. The cross, up to 18 hours. Who else do you know had leaders that tried to release him? Like Darius, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus. Who else do you know was placed in a tomb covered with a rock and a seal? Who else do you know had family and friends that grieved and woke up early the next morning to visit the tomb? And who else do you know had people discover that he's alive, not dead? Who else do you know because of his life declares God to be true? Who else do you know was raised as the servant of God? And please hear me out. For those that want to build their own kingdoms, who else do you know will tear kingdoms apart? Who else? His name is Jesus. And please understand this. This is where Daniel got his cues. What Jesus did and what Jesus decided not to do, it always flowed from who Jesus was, who Jesus is. Your story, and I want to press in so hard on the students. Your story, it's got different chapters, different choices. But you're going to come to different crossroads where you've got to make some big decisions. I don't want you to miss it. I want who you are in the eyes of God to be there when it happens. So you end up like Daniel. And so you model the person that God called you to be. And now I want to speak to the adults. Some of us have forgotten this. We've winged it on what we do. We've winged it on who we're with. We've let our talent, we let our drive, we let our passion trump who we are and it's cut who we are right out from under the legs. And understand right here in this room, if you're in here, your list is not too late. Come to your senses. Lift your eyes. Just like the prodigal son, he, he was in a field 
And when he came to his senses, he returned to the Father. Today in this room with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want us to pray this way. God, please make us wise in our day. Make us significant. Like Daniel, you might find us every day with you in our Bible, on our knees. That among our friends, among even enemies, we would be found pure. That people would see Jesus in us. God, that we would not be milestones that people walk past. But we would literally be a crossroad. A fork in the road. People would see our lives and they would make decisions on you. I pray no matter what we face, we would remember today that you are with us. Whether it's winds and waves, a fire and a furnace, or even in a den with lines, you're with us. And God, I pray today that if anyone in this room finds themselves in a field trying to build their little kingdom, might they turn to you, come to their senses to find grace to make it and forgiveness to move forward. I thank you so much for Jesus. May we hold tight to who you've called us to be and how that should shape the things that we do and the things that we don't do. And I pray this today in Jesus' name.